Hey everyone. So we're releasing this episode the Tuesday after we recorded our live season finale. And I just want to say thanks so much to everyone who was part of our season finale. It was such a great night and such a beautiful show. And we can't wait to release that episode so everyone can hear it or relive it if you were there. And like I said, it was just such a beautiful night. However, I did realize after the fact that we did not tell people that it would not be the next episode we released because we do have one episode left before the season finale. So we have today's episode, which is on infidelity and desire, and we hope you really like it. Just one note about this episode and the how it works in the timeline of our show. This one was actually recorded a few months ago, so you, you'll hear us reference to the fact that we're dating or you know, interested in dating, and that does not line up with our current situations of who we're dating and everything. So just wanted to clear that up there. But here's our show, and tune in next week for that live podcast episode. Welcome to Open Heart Surgery, a podcast where two queer best friends delve into the nuances of relationships and get curious about how to become our most loving selves. Adrian. Hey, Susanna. <laughs> Thanks for getting my vibe today. <laughs> You're okay. very singing tonight. I'm so singing, but even more than that, I can't stop singing in dog voice. Yeah. Which if, if you aren't aware, um, God, keep up, but... <laughs> Dog voice is, I have a golden retriever that I truly channel with his voice, and I call it dog voice. Yeah, but it's really his voice. I don't think we've actually talked about dog voice yeah. on the podcast. I don't even think we've talked about my dogs, probably. Wow. Which is wild. Yeah, I have two Rude. dogs, but I only only one has dog voice. The mm. other dog, we don't know her voice right. yet. I don't channel yet. But um, I've been singing in dog voice. Yeah, I think you should demonstrate dog voice. I just panicked. Um, you know what? Maybe I'll do dog voice in the recap, oh, okay. but I can't. Pro- I can't promise. Okay. And I might even save it for season two. Okay, we might because save it. I if it I do dog voice too soon, why? Why would you come back and keep listening? I also just butt dialed someone, and I am not okay at the thought of butt dialing someone while recording this podcast. Yeah. So surprise, I'm surprise guest. <laughs> Literally now. You are now on the I butt dialed someone from war. <laughs> I'm going to put my guest. phone away. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Wow. Okay. So, we're here to talk about infidelity today. Woo! <laughs> yeah, baby! <laughs> you just gotta sell it. You just gotta, <laughs> you just gotta really hype it up. Yeah, so we're gonna talk about infidelity. But we're also talking about desire. Yeah. And keeping, keeping desire alive. Keeping the spark alive. Keeping the spark alive, yeah. That's, 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 that can be fun. I guess. I mean, I'm not sure how it how it works, but yeah, that would be fun. In theory, I love theory, that. I yes. love that idea. In theory. Um, so just like personal note about this, because it's going to be such a personal topic for me. Is 
I've been cheated on multiple times. Yeah. And I was most recently and most devastatingly cheated on during my marriage toward the end. And I know parts of it. I'm not sure about some details. And I, the way it went down was really shady. And yeah. it was a lot of betrayal, a lot of gaslighting, lots of manipulation. And it felt horrible. Just yeah. absolutely horrible. It was just like, you know, blindsided out of nowhere. And so I'm sure that will kind of color my thoughts during this. Yeah. Um, during this whole episode. So I just want to kind of put that out there and not to make myself sound like a saint either. I've also cheated once. Yeah. Which felt gross. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a hard topic with a lot of baggage with it for sure yeah so we're talking to a therapist today i am super excited because it's your friend devin yeah my really good friend Devin yeah, from high who, school. I, who i've only like barely met so like um i'm excited to talk more to him yeah you should be he's a treat yeah he, seems he like is him. a literal treat um and i love that he lives close he yeah. moved with his fiance just a couple hours from us, so it's nice that I get to see him more often because they were further away. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, shall we jump in? Yeah, let's do it. Or do you want... I could also just keep talking to you and singing in dog voice. I mean, I think that would be great as well. Okay. Nice to see ya. That wasn't dog voice. That, that was, was human voice. Yeah. That was just me. I can't stop singing today. I also kind of want some chocolate. I have some chocolate. Oh, let's go get some and then record. We can do that. Okay. All right. Stay tuned for the interview. Will you do your Ira Glass voice? <laughs> Please. It's not really a good Ira Glass it's voice. It's so just, good. It's just, Please. Stay with us. <laughs> but sometimes he does like the understated one. He has like two ways of doing it. What is like what the, you do the stay other with us? And the other one is just like stay with us. <laughs> oh my god, it's perfect. But I can't do his voice. It's too he's too nasally. No, I, can't I think do it. I think you're close. <laughs> I think you're very close. And if you just if I if you did that and I didn't know who you were trying to be, I would know. Right. Yeah. You know it right away. Alright. Stay with us. Hey everyone. We're here recording on this lovely evening with Devin Griffin. Just for a little background on Devin, we have been friends for many, many moons. We met when we were 16? Right? 17. 17. We met when we were 17 in our hometown in Memphis, Tennessee. And we met at Governor School, which, if you're not familiar with it, is a... Um, Adrian just gave me a look. Yeah, I'm very interested in what Governor School is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I was... I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell anyone. So we met there um, and we've been friends ever since. Devin is now a licensed therapist and is going to, and if that's wrong, he can correct me later when he introduces himself. But um, we're going to talk about infidelity, cheating, how to keep desire and lust and you know, the spice alive in long-term relationships today. So, Devin, you want to 
introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and why we asked you to be, be our guest on this podcast. Sure. Um, so yeah, my name is Devin Griffin. So I currently live in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I'm a licensed independent social worker, um, but I have a lot of experience. That's what I meant. That's okay. I'm also a therapist. So <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, I am a therapist. My, my license is a social worker. I uh, went to high school with Susanna, where we became very good friends. Uh, and then I lived in New York for the past 12 years, um, just recently relocated. Um, and I'm pretty certain I got asked on the podcast because I am someone with some legitimate credentials and someone that knows <laughs> that Susanna knows can make her laugh a bit and hopefully have a good time on here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you can actually make me laugh a lot. <laughs> So yeah, more than a bit. Sounds accepted. Yeah. So I think this is such a common topic. Unfortunately, I hate that it's very common, but I think infidelity and cheating is something that so many people come up against in their lives in one way or another. Maybe they're on the cheating end or maybe they're being cheated on. Maybe both at different points. I've experienced both at different points. I'm not really proud of that, but I'll share that. I'll just say that, you know. Um, so, Devin, you you know this. In my marriage, I was cheated on toward the end. I don't know all the details. And I, I don't know all the details. And personally, I don't feel like I really need to know all the details. As much as I wanted to ask all the, you know, kind of sorted questions to get all the details and all the knowledge, like I do know a lot, but I know I don't know everything and I don't really care to know more. Do you think that is okay? Is it, how, how important is it to know everything or is it even important at all? Or do some people not want to know a single thing? I think that's a fabulous question. Um, you know, I do want to like maybe frame my answer as like a trauma therapist, because I think that like when people have trauma, there is this like big push that like, oh, if they're repressing memories that like they need to like unpack that and dig it up. And the truth is, is that, is that you don't, you, mm. you really don't need to unpack things that are just going to be harmful. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, if you're not, having any kind of impact in your everyday life by not knowing something. Um, and by that, I mean sort of like a specific memory or details, right? Um, then it's usually better not to pry into it. And I kind of feel similarly about this idea of like knowing all the details, right? Of, of the cheating. Um, and you know, just sorry to interrupt, but you say trauma and is cheating considered a trauma? Is it, I mean, I know I felt traumatic for me. Is that something you would consider a trauma or no? Well, it depends. Like, I think, I think <laughs> there can be a rich answer to it, but um, I think that some people get cheated on and they're very upset and they want to call it a trauma and it is not. Mm, okay. Um, it's a bad thing that happened and not every bad thing that happens in your life is traumatizing. Traumatizing is about, Something is traumatizing when your real or perceived safety is in danger. Oh, okay. And there, 
there are situations where I think cheating perhaps can rise to that level. Yeah. But I, but I think it's less about like the act of having sex with someone else and more about mm. the betrayal and yeah. often the gaslighting, often the, the hiding and yeah. just the things going on in a relationship that lead to the cheating in the first place. Absolutely. That was a great detour. And I, I wasn't really sure the exact definition of trauma. So thank you for that. And then did we address the full question? How important is it to know all the details? Did I interrupt you or did you address it as much as you want it? Uh, I think this really the answer I was giving is that like, okay. I don't think we're important. And I think that okay. it's, it can be very self-protecting to not want to know all the details. You know, if you, if you need to know details because like your health is in question, like, yeah. um, you know, or you need to understand, like sometimes there's that deep driving urge to like understand how this happened and, and, and yeah. those things which can be important. But if, if it's just a morbid curiosity, like, why did you want to fuck her? Like, that kind of thing. It's yeah. not always helpful. Yeah. I love that point that it's not always helpful and, like, kind of sorting that out. Because I think so often we get, like, I'll think of with, like, therapy and stuff that I'll be like, oh, I need to address everything. I need to address every little yeah, thing. Yeah, me too. That's a really great point that, like, I don't know, maybe some stuff you don't need to address. Like, maybe if it's not something that's like affecting your everyday life, maybe like it's best to not dig that up constantly. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, even, I even say that about people like working on like preserving or improving relationships. Like sometimes not everything is something to like dig to the root of. Yeah. You know, not everything has to be just processed out <laughs> all the way. I love that. I've never really heard someone say that before. So that was really helpful. Yeah. Because uh, I think I, I definitely agree. I jump more toward, oh, let's process everything. Let's and... process every little piece of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the same way. And now I want to process why I have that belief. So a common phrase that I hear that I think we've all probably heard before is, oh, once a cheater, always a cheater. And I want to know how much truth you think there is to that? Like, can people who have cheated really do the work to stop that? Or do you believe once a cheater, always a cheater? And I will say I have cheated on someone one time and it felt so shitty. And I can't see myself doing that again. But I was, I feel like I'm, you know, giving excuses. I was really young. Um, You were really young. Yeah. I know that. But yeah. <laughs> so, okay. I'm going to prepare like just a big caveat for the entire conversation with me is that amazing. I'm going to try not to say it like this, but like most of my answers will be based on the idea of it depends. Okay. I love that. So, I think that there is definitely a type of person who cheats, person first language. <laughs> <laughs> Very inclusive. I can't even say it with a straight face. Okay. Okay. So we won't say cheaters anymore. And we'll re we'll retitle this episode People Who Cheat. I'm te- I'm teasing a little bit. Person with a capacity to cheat. Uh I love it. Um, there's definitely there's definitely a motivation for some people to cheat on their partner 
because they're not getting something out of the relationship yeah. or the relationship yeah. isn't right. And I, I think that to condemn all people who cheat as like once a cheater, always a cheater, like is, is not helpful and just not, not based in reality. Um, yeah. But there is also a type of person who just like enjoys cheating. And like, I think that we have more of this like media representation of that, this like mythology of that person who's just like a chronic cheater. I don't think it's that common per se. Um, Cause I think people are real people and three-dimensional and, and have all yeah. these like needs and wants, but yeah, no, there's definitely going to be some narcissists to like, just literally get off on cheating. And I think those people that's, that's hard to change. Are there like any signs like you feel like when you start dating someone or you start or you're interested in someone like obviously you can like ask some questions but like what kind of things would you look for to kind of determine if this person like has cheated in the past or might have a history or a propensity for it? That's an awesome question because that 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 question kind of gets to one of the core ideas that I really wanted to talk about coming on here which is that I think it's all based on communication and trust mm -hmm. and on respect. And so I don't think that there's going to be a lot that you can gain in a first, like in the first few dates with someone apart from like literally asking, like, have you cheated before? Yeah. Like, like they're not going to reveal that fact, but people do reveal a lot about themselves. And I think the red flags you look for is like, are they a poor or inconsistent communicator? Mm. Um, and not like they're taking like a couple of days to respond to you inconsistent, but like things aren't quite adding up. The story changes. Like you just find them not super reliable in their storytelling. Yeah. Um, I think how people speak about their exes is incredibly important. Mm. Um, obviously everyone has relationships that didn't end well but mm -hmm. um if you go on a date with someone and they're like all of my exes are crazy not Oof. a good yeah <laughs> yeah that is yeah. like a waving red flag yeah. and then like respect like i know that in the past when i've dated like you know i mean granted i'm like a whole other thing considering some of my history but um <laughs> Let's get into it. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be put simply, I lived with an ex-boyfriend for two years and both of our boyfriends ended up moving into that apartment as well. So Love it. Uh, uh. queer life in New York City is its own. <laughs> I know. So it was the four of you, right? Living together. Plus one other person who had not slept with anyone else. <laughs> I would love I would love a TV show made from yes. that other person's perspective. <laughs> That would be great. Uh, I also can send you the the uh, picture that that the fifth person made of turning us all into Bob's Burgers characters. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, not everyone has to say like, you know, that their ex was fantastic or that like the relationship ended so positively, and I can only have wonderful things to say about them. Right. But like it's a bit of a red flag if they're like, if they can't articulate why they were in a relationship with them or what good came out of it. Um, if they can't show some respect for the yeah. relationship and honor that, I think, I think to me, yeah. that is kind of one of your biggest red flags in a new relationship. I think that's a great point. And I, and I think that just really speaks to like 
the way you think of other people and your partners. Yeah, agreed. Right, because cheating's so often about a lack of respect and yeah. about a lack of clear communication. Yeah. So you want to know that the foundation of a new relationship has that. Um, and I think it's really hard, you know, and we might get into this, but like when you've been in a relationship for a while and then these things happen and you start to notice the cracks, it's very hard to go back and repair that foundation. How how would you go about actually repairing that? Because I've been cheated on multiple times. Shout out to those lovely people. But uh, <laughs> I... I've never stayed with someone who's cheated on me, at least not in any sort of long-term capacity. And I really can't imagine staying because I just personally don't, I don't know how I could ever fully recover. But how does the recovery process after infidelity typically work? If there is a typical way, I'm sure it's always different, but. uh. It depends. (laughs) Good. You know, I, I have a controversial sentiment about it, and this is more in my personal life, not so much as a therapist, but- We love a hot take on the podcast. <laughs> I My hot take is that cheating is not the worst thing that you can do to a partner. Oh, agree. Um, I really don't think that it is when we're talking about sex. And if the issue is about sex, and that's kind of a whole specific- genre of healthy relationships and communication and dealing with that. I've often thought if that's the worst that happens and we can talk about it and figure out what happened, then then fine. Yeah. Um, so that's my hot take. I know that most people do not think that way. And as a therapist, I also know that most cheating isn't just about sex. Mm-hmm. Is the- yeah. I guess I would totally like to change my answer then to what I just said about how I don't think I could get over it. I think if it was <laughs> I think if it was just sex, I could. It's really the emotions that come into it for me. It's the love to me. Like that is what all the emotions that come into it and come into play. That's where I don't I don't think I could get over that. If they were just fucking that's I don't know. That hurts, but it hurts less. What is the therapy process like for couples who want to repair after an affair? How how do you usually go about it? So I'll start by emphasizing a big point about couples or relationship counseling. I've worked with some throuples, so I'm trying to expand my language. Oh, yeah. A big thing I always say about that is like, that is not for everyone and that is not for every situation. A lot of people think couples counseling, relationship counseling, like, okay, there's a big problem. We're going to go. And like, I have had clients directly say, well, I think I need couples counseling because I need a space where I can tell my partner all like the bad things that they've been doing. Mm. That is not what good couples counseling is. Yeah. (laughs) You actually do need a certain level of emotional intelligence and good faith Mm. to get anything out of couples counseling. Mm. We come we come to it with the premise that we are willing to work on our communication. We're willing to work on rebuilding this. We are doing this in good faith. The reasons for the infidelity need to be acknowledged. And I think that that's the first step in the work. Because if you don't get some kind of mutual language and acknowledgement of it, 
the wronged party will not really be able to move on from it. And the wronging party doesn't really address what was going on. So I think that there has to be some honesty there about what it was. You know, was it a sexual desire? I think there's a lot of couples who have discordant sexual desires that they don't talk about. I think that that's, Mm. that is a big driving force of cheating. You know, there's lack of emotional intimacy. There's boredom. You know, there's, there's lots of reasons. So yeah, I think you need to reach a place of true honesty with each other about that, which can take Mm -hmm. some time. People are scared of being honest. People are scared of telling the truth. That's, that's where I think the journey starts and like learning to trust each other, learning, learning to find love and shared meaning together again. I, I do love how like you're simplifying it to like so many problems are like communication problems. That's so simple, but makes sense. Cause just like, if you talked more about what you needed or what, what isn't going well, that would solve so many problems. So I just, I love that simplification that when it comes down to it, really just so often couples just need better communication. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why my own relationship has been successful. Like uh, I've been with my fiance almost five years. I don't think that we're exactly, you know, necessarily a paragon of a couple. We just have really direct communication because yeah. I I need that. I, you know, as going to get slightly deep for a second, as, you know, I, as a survivor of childhood abuse and of a very tense family home, um, you know, I have a pattern of, of thinking and behavior that a lot of people in that situation do, which is a mistrust of interpretation. Mm. Uh, and so I established very early on in, in my relationship with my fiance that um, we're not interpreting anything. We are mm. we, we say what we mean and mean what we say. And that is that. And wow. it took it took him a while to, I think, adopt that, but, but he has, and it's, you know, we have spats, we have disagreements about things, but we trust that we're meaning what we say and that really helps. So Say what you I mean. Love what that. You say yeah. I tell clients constantly and they don't always like it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm going to, whenever I may find myself in a relationship again, I am going to adopt that. The the shame around divorce and being cheated on and all of that, that is like that's what still gets me sometimes. Like there is a lot of shame and it's a hundred percent self-imposed and that does still get me. Even though when I hear, when people open up to me about their serious breakups, engagements called off, divorces that they've gone through in the past, things like that, it makes me see them as such a more beautiful human and just I feel like I get to know this person on such a deeper level and they're more intimate with me. And then when it comes to me, I'm like, oh, you must not know that. And I, you know, I'm going to be gentle with myself and just say I'm learning how to be more or I'm learning how to feel less shame. And I'm just not super practiced with that feeling yet, but I'm getting there. So I feel like the idea of shame about a divorce came was really prevalent in a recent client I worked with. And I'm gonna, I'm trying not to use a lot of like specific client examples only because I don't know if they'll end up listening to this and like 
and would really want to protect their anonymity. And of course, of course. Yeah. But I feel like, I feel like this is a, a great example that I don't think that my client who probably will not listen will, would be upset about hearing, but I recently spent the last six months working with a client and he just, he just ended therapy process. We started working together two weeks after his wife unexpectedly left him. Mm. And it was interesting because he came to therapy initially and I didn't know what to expect from this guy. I had like a questionnaire and he was like, uh, I want to work on my anger and on being controlling and, and all that. I want to work on me. So I'm like, this is actually a good starting point, right? Like the relationship is over, but you want to work on you. Lo and behold, wonderful man. Yeah. Every example that he gave that his like soon to be ex-wife had thrown at him of bad behavior was not really founded. You know, he just, he, he didn't even spend a minute of time justifying himself. He literally just was answering questions about what the relationship looked like. And after a couple of sessions, I was like, my poor man. Um, mm. And so the therapy really turned to processing and grieving the end of the marriage because they had been married for about 20 years and had two kids. You know, you asked me earlier about what counseling can look like when you're trying to repair a relationship. And you know, th- I think this person I worked with is a is a great example of what it can look like when you're not trying to fix it, but you're trying to move on from it and you're trying to heal. Mm. So we did a lot of work on unpacking the things that had been the, the things that he had been accused of, the things that you know the wife had told him he had done wrong. And I just sort of did like a we would go but from you know, what was wrong in the relationship to what was good in the relationship and kind of swing on that pendulum and really unpack it from left to right, you know, varied by session. And ultimately my goal was to help this person feel more confident in the decision that the relationship was over. Yeah. To reflect on his role in the relationship before it ended and how he contributed or didn't contribute to the ending yeah. of the relationship. And, you know, and just on that note, you know, I, I always say anytime someone comes to me and they're working through a relationship issue, my script is I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to talk with you and work through what's going on and help you ultimately feel more confident in your decision, whether mm-hmm. you're staying, whether you're going, I am just here to, to help you think through all of your thoughts and feel so much more confident and certain about what needs to happen. That's awesome. I hate when my therapist does that. I do too. (laughs) I'm like, I just want you to tell me what to do. I (laughs) know. Like, please just tell me what to do. So I've been cheated on and that's tough. I would love for it to not happen to me again. It may or may not. Are there any like clear flashing warning signs that someone is maybe more prone to cheating that I should look out for? Well, we kind of talked about this before. As I was asking the question, I was like, oh, we've talked about this. The short answer is narcissism. Yeah. What are some signs that someone is a narcissist? And can you define narcissism in your words? Thank you. I was just about to say narcissism is one of these fun psychology TikTok words that people yeah. have picked up on. Yeah. Um, I'm not a TikToker, but also TikTok is the bane of my professional existence because of the misinformation that uh, tweens spread on it about mental health. Yeah. Yeah. 
I love TikTok. <laughs> Mental health TikTok, not it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I, I, my for you page is so much mental health TikTok. I wonder what misinformation I'm getting. A- anyone who is a professional doing oh, okay, okay. TikTok is probably fine. I'm okay. talking about 21 year olds. Oh, yeah. Who know what they're talking about. Yeah. I follow this one account and it's all just about. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. It's okay. So I don't do any of these things. I just find it fascinating to learn about. And I'm sure you're thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> but I follow this one account that's all just about different spells you can do to get people to love you. And like, like <laughs> different tricks and like different, like, you know, witchy things you can do to bring love to you. And they sometimes talk about mental health and I'm like, why are you talking about this? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So speaking of spells, which makes me think of manipulation which or games, huge red flag. Don't, don't fuck around with someone who's clearly playing games with you. Yeah. Who's giving you double speak in their text messages. Who's, um, clearly not respecting what you say and what you mean. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Cause I think that there's a lot about like the game and the, the truth is, is that mm-hmm. like I mean, dating might be a game, but like for young people, I, yeah. Ugh. yeah. Like I, th- nothing sounds more exhausting to me than playing the game and like, Oh my gosh, I'm playing hard to get and all that. Ugh. I can't imagine if I'm into you, you will know. <laughs> I won't be playing hard to get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if Uh, you're into someone, they'll know in five years. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Devin's referencing um, the fact that, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, I love to pine after someone. Um, The longer, the better, really. But I, you know, I do only have one life, so I would like to not pine forever. Right. Love Love for you is like a fine wine. Just leave it alone in a cellar for a few years. <laughs> then it'll be really yes. 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 I think I relate to that too much. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I do that as well. Yeah. <laughs> you have anything else you want to say specific about infidelity or anything related to what we've been talking about before we go to desire? I wanted to um, just uh, maybe share this concept called the four horsemen. Uh, meaning the end of a relationship, Um, some behaviors to look out for. If you're in a relationship and you see these, if you feel like you're experiencing them, you know, it's not the end of the world, but it's, it does mean that you need to do some work together. (laughs) So I just wanted to show what the four horsemen were. That's okay. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I'll associate each with a different relationship in my life. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. But not. There's four of them. So basically you can do like Hogwarts houses if you want to. Oh my God. God. Which horseman are you? Which horseman of the relationship apocalypse are you? That's that's when you feel like the relationship is over. You said that BuzzFeed article. Oh my god! You just yes. send that to them. Be like, I think, I think this isn't going well. <laughs> so the first horseman is criticism of the partner's personality. So that's like 
you're attacking and criticizing who they are at their core. Yeah. Yeah. So like kind of the same thing as, as ad hominem in a debate. Yeah. Right. It's not about the issue. It's about the person. Like you're attacking yeah. who they are or you're picking apart their personality. It's um, mm. fun fact, productive arguing is never going to be picking apart someone's personality, which is kind of largely immutable. Yeah. Yeah. We had another episode we just recorded on how to have healthy conflict and productive argue. I love that. Okay. I know. Touch on that now. People are going to. No, I want you to. Get all that. That's great. Okay. What's the second horseman? Defensiveness. Mm. And what this means really is an unwillingness to look at others' perspective, right? I'm so defensive and I'm so concerned with what you're throwing at me that I can't, I can't engage. Like there is just a wall and I can't see your perspective. Do you guys relate to that at all or see that in past relationships? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think for me, I've definitely hit some points where that's happened and it just was, we needed to get on the same page. But yeah, I mean, I can definitely see like, if you can't get on the same page. Yeah. 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 I, I will say, I think out of all of these, defensiveness is one of the easier ones to resolve. Yeah. I think that defensiveness is one of those symptoms of a communication issue that is more easily addressed and and, work, and some good work can be done on it. That's not going to be the case with the fourth horseman. What's number three? Well, our third horseman is stonewalling. Uh, and not everyone's going to know what that phrase means. Do you guys know what that means? No. It's a refusal to engage. Okay. It's just completely putting up a wall. Like, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not talking to you. I'm not addressing this. I'm pretending like you don't exist. These are stonewalling. Where does that term come from? I don't know. So is it you're pretending the person doesn't exist or the specific issue in the relationship doesn't exist or all of it? I mean, I think all of it overall, but I think when stonewalling is a sign of a relationship that's maybe on its last legs. I, I think it's more of a ignoring the person yeah, and refusing to even like engage in. Yeah. Cause like we all have avoidance, right? Like there's all yeah. things we all have things that we want to avoid. We don't want to talk about. Yeah. I don't, for think, sure. I don't think that being reluctant to, to jump back into an argument could be fairly called stonewalling. So okay. yeah. It's always important to name what things aren't. Yeah. yeah. I think that's that's always a, that's always been a wild concept for me. I don't know. I've never been in a relationship like that. And I just can't imagine. Like, people have been like, we just, like, didn't talk to each other for a week. And I'm just like, how? Like, I don't understand I know. That. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever experienced stonewalling. Yeah, I don't think so either. Maybe. I'm so glad that we could talk about nuance on this podcast. Because you know who doesn't talk about nuance? Mental health TikTok. <laughs> all shade to mental health tiktok I know. this podcast is not sponsored by mental health TikTok. <laughs> um, what's the fourth one the big the big one oh the big one contempt oh Ooh. so that's just i don't know how you come back from contempt for a person yeah yeah like i just feel like the word contempt and maybe it's my own transference and like idea of what it means but like that to me is like the absence of love. Right. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think relationships do end up at that point because across cultures, across personality types, 
we have different values in relationships. And so you do have, unfortunately, a lot of relationships that ultimately don't have a lot of love in them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, just to drive this home, I just Googled the actual definition of contempt and it's scathing. I'm going to read it. Great. Contempt. The feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. That is, like, literally how do you come back from that? And also, I've tried to place myself in a Hogwarts house as we've been talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse houses. And I'm worried I might be contempt. Like, that's, I don't think... I've never had, I've never felt any of the other things in a relationship toward the end, but I have probably felt contempt. And it, spoiler alert, (laughs) it did not work out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't want to confuse contempt for, for anger or for hurt. That's true. I was probably more angry and hurt. I would, I, I would never say a person is worthless. Yeah. Right. Because we're talking about these things in the context of an active relationship. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Right. These are these. The four horsemen are a sign that the relationship is close to the end. I see. I guess I was thinking, you know, actively during the breakup process. But no, I, I don't. Okay, I get it. Yeah, that's such a good, good thing to keep in mind. Like, this is not you know, after or right as someone's breaking up with you. This is in the active relationship. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. Okay. No. Please. If everyone who experienced contempt during a breakup went to therapy about it, like the whole system would be broken. <laughs> <laughs> the wait list would be five years long. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, I, I anger and hurt and sometimes even contempt after a relationship is ended. I don't think we need to pathologize, but when there's contempt in an active relationship and that's impeding everything that's impeding happiness, communication, all of that, then, then yeah, that's a really big concern. And that, I don't know where you come back yeah. from. Yeah. Cause it's not about the experience of being angry. It's about the viewpoint of the other person as like you said, not deserving of consideration. Yeah. So changing gears a little bit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what oh just i feel like the four horsemen is like the most dire and like depressing yeah. of that you can possibly do on this yeah. <laughs> the name yeah the fact that it's called the four horsemen yeah okay i gotta love i gotta oh my gosh that's just too funny all right so if you don't want to end up as one of the four horsemen and you want to keep some spice and desire alive in your long-term committed relationship. Is there, do you have any advice you want to share from work that you've done around how that can happen is it possible to keep desire alive because i think so many people cheat because they you know want something new and novel which makes i mean that's just that does make sense but want to get your take on it well i've been dreading a little bit part of this conversation because i know your personal life and so while there's a complete like strain of like 
a complete train of thought that we can go into about like how an individual couple can like work on keeping desire. And I'm happy to do that. Like we're going to do that. Like, I do think that part of that conversation overall, like does need to include an exploration of open relationship. Yeah, no, I would agree. Yeah. I'm, we did an episode of the podcast with, um, I'm going to say swinging, but I now learned it's now called the lifestyle. And we talked to someone we know in it and she sold me. <laughs> I, I, her and her husband have been together like 10 years and she's bi, he's straight and they swing, but they have this super committed emotional relationship, but freer sexual relationship. And I think like, I personally, I don't know. I think I, I think I could be down for that. Like there's so many different ways to do non-monogamy too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to backtrack a little bit because I don't want anyone to think that my answer to how can a couple keep the spice alive be like, go fuck other people. (laughs) But, but do. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I do think that it is about, it's about being self-reflective about what you need and about what you want. Yeah. And, and communicating that effectively. Like, I'm sorry, it all goes back to communication, but yeah. I think there's a lot of couples who get together who maybe aren't super honest about all of their sexual desires, either to themselves or to their partner. Yeah. And, and sometimes you just end up in situations where people are truly in love with each other, but those sexual needs, mm-hmm. especially fetishes. Um, oh yeah. You know, those things aren't being met in that relationship. And if we, I think this is why I brought up open relationships and polyamory. Like if we had a more sex positive culture, mm-hmm. I think people would be more likely to ethically introduce these topics to their partner and communicate about them and, and try to find you know a resolution that satisfies everyone, but also keeps everyone feeling safe and, and happy and loved. I love how you just put that. Yeah. I really do. I was, um, so I was seeing uh, a sex therapist for a little while. And like one thing that he said that just really stuck with me was because I was talking to him about like, you know, how to best fulfill my partner and like just kind of like talking through all that. And he said to me, he said, everyone is responsible for their own pleasure. And I thought that was just such a profound statement and like something that's not a way I had thought about it. And like, like you're saying, like it all comes back to communication. Like if you are not experiencing the pleasure that you're looking for, that you need, like ultimately that comes down to you communicating that with your partner. Yeah. I think that's a really common thing that I've heard, not, not just in therapy, but kind of in general from people is like, oh, I really enjoy seeing my partner, you know, be pleasured. I really enjoy, you know, making sure that they're having a good time and like that's wonderful right Mm -hmm. that's that's a wonderful thing there's plenty of selfish lovers out there Mm -hmm. get someone eager to please like a plus but yeah i you know you're responsible for your own pleasure for most people that's not what is going to actually give them pleasure some people it might but you know, some, a lot of, most people will still have their own needs and their own things that they would like a partner to do, or they would like to do to a partner. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I love that. I, I'm so glad that your therapist made that statement and, and that it had an impact on you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What can people do if they don't want to open up their relationship, if anything? I think there's plenty of things. <laughs> I'm maybe a millennial, but I'm not someone who's just going to tell you you have to open up a relationship. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a solution-focused therapist, so, you know, something that I always... Always like to say in both in therapy and in my own relationship is are we solution oriented about this or are we going to be in our feelings? Mm. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Because I am very much always solution oriented. So I have to like check myself. Mm. Um sometimes people just want to complain. But yeah, so being solution oriented, you know, I want to I, I want to know like what is the problem. And I think that if you communicate with what the disconnect, what the problem is, that's I think the quickest way to figuring out what to do about it. Yeah. yeah. But that's not always easy. It can be really hard to talk about these things. Some, some partners, you know, have a hard time even articulating like what their desires are. If we're talking just about the idea of like sexual intimacy and desire, um, you know, I do think it's about figuring out what the disconnect is, trying to figure out some kind of, creative solution to it you know whether that's you know even just being more open about masturbation i think can be a great i was start. just thinking that yeah too many couples are like oh my partner doesn't masturbate i'm like what <laughs> i will say that there is it's a double-edged sword a little bit with men um oh or, or rather people with penises because just physiologically, like masturbating can, you know, it's a release and yeah. there's a refractory period. You might not be interested in in, in intimacy. Um, so I do think that's a double-edged sword for for people with penises and, and that biology. But, so but overall, masturbation is something that most people participate in and, you know, is kind of the foundation for individual sexuality. And I think yeah. being more honest about it and communicating about it are great first steps if you're having a sexual disconnect. Yeah, I know. Um, so I grew up super, super religious. And when I say grew up, I was that through like my mid 20s. And so and, and there is still like I still fight a lot of like shame around masturbation and around a, a lot of things in that area that I'm just kind of like oh this isn't how this should be done this isn't how I should be doing it so like yeah I definitely feel that and like in my past relationship because my partner also grew up super religious and we were together for a very long time and we both had that like kind of shame around it and that was something that was really hard for us to overcome and really hard for us to like get to a place where we were okay with like that being all right in our relationship so yeah i definitely definitely feel that yeah. yeah yeah there's there's definitely always situations where you know some of the things that that i say or that therapists say like are generalizations and and aren't always you know taking into account those real those very real things of the religious trauma or just yeah. or just viewpoints right not every not every religious viewpoint is traumatic um we learned what trauma is yeah so um but yeah i I do, I do think i do think it's a challenge right it's, yeah. it's such a challenge to normalize masturbation i think a lot hot take 
I think a lot of sexual miscommunication and discord in relationships can be attributed to like a very profound hyper focus on penis and vagina uh, penetrative sex. Yeah, Mm, for sure. For sure. I think that's a great take. Yeah. As we're talking about it, even like, like I am so pro masturbation (laughs) and like, even as we're talking about it, like saying that word out loud feels a little uncomfortable for me. (laughs) Yeah. And I grew up religious, but not, I mean, it wasn't, you know, super significant part of my life or anything, but it's just, it's like, it's still in my mind a little. It's, it's like a weird word to say out loud and it really shouldn't be. Yeah. It really shouldn't be. And I'm pro masturbation. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to start getting more comfortable with saying that word. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. We could get you a t shirt that you could wear around. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Actively. Don't. <laughs> so just getting back to this, the idea of like keeping desire alive without opening the relationship. So I think masturbation is very foundational. It allows people to, you know, explore their fantasy life, explore kinks, fetishes. Yeah. Maybe their partner isn't open to exploring together. I also think people talking about it and like what it looks like, you know, there, there's likely a a lot of people out there who, you know, one person has this kink where like they can't even get the conversation started because the other partner just wants to like not think about it and put it down. But if you're you're able to get to that point of conversation about it and answer questions and and describe it and maybe even like start talking about what it would look like and what boundaries would be there. You know, I think yeah. there, I think there would be a lot of couples where they would find some kind of compromise where, you know, where one partner is getting a need fulfilled and the other person is enjoying it or, or feeling involved and in, in having a good time as well, even if it's not, you know, their specific thing. Yeah. But it requires talking about it and that's really hard. And I think it's so hard to like have that conversation and not, or if like your partner wanna, wants to have that conversation with you and you not take it personally. Like if your partner's like, I need to try these other things and not for you to not take it as like, oh, I'm doing something wrong or I'm bad with this or whatever. Um, like, I think that's a really hard thing to do too. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to say, I, I think erectile dysfunction actually is a, a really big facet of sexual health that does cause a lot of discord in relationships. And, you know, it's just a fact of, biology you know a lot of the time you know it's very you know it's complicated you know with hormones and and brain chemicals but it's something that can often have some kind of resolution if you're willing to sit in the discomfort of it and talk about it and not get caught up in these like puritanical viewpoints of just like it being a lack of desire a lack of of want Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and like that guilt, like if you can kind of push past that and just talk about it like and like a, a, a like a health issue, um, you know, I think that people would have a lot more success with that as well. Yeah. yeah. And also like kind of what you said earlier about just having a broader view of sex of like 
you know, if it's a couple that where there's a penis and vagina involved, that's the the only option isn't just penetration, you know. And I think like I mean, I'm sure that goes that's true for other couples and body parts as well. Is like it's if you have a very limited view of what sex is, you know, then like if you have to do this one thing or this thing has to happen, you know, whether that's an orgasm or whatever, and if that has to happen for you to to be satisfied, you know, then you're kind of missing out on some, you know, a lot of other fun things that you could do. Yeah. Also, if you're someone struggling like to have an erect penis and insert it into a body orifice, and this is causing you distress, the first thing you should do is stop trying to put pressure on yourself to insert that penis into a body orifice. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you have to develop a different viewpoint on intimacy and take Mm -hmm. the pressure off of there. Yeah. Um, So that's just a little tidbit of sexual therapy advice is, you know, explore other things if you if you're not finding success with what you're trying to do so thank you so much for talking with us and taking your time to share all of that i know it was super helpful for me and we have something that we've been doing with every guest at the end of the podcast adrian i feel like i want you to tell about it you want me to do it okay yeah i'm just gonna sit here and listen okay okay so we we do this with every guest. We call it speed dating. So there's four questions we're going to ask. Answer as quickly as you can. So just kind of like your gut reaction. And so like as quickly as possible. Uh, okay. So the first question. If you could describe love in five words or less. Describe wor- love in five words or less. Closeness. Friendship meaningful, trusting, honest. Love that. Amazing. And I love that your words can be relevant for romantic or platonic love. Oh, okay. I'm just glad that it didn't, I'm, I'm hoping that it didn't come across as like a live, laugh, love poster. <laughs> no, it did not. Did not. If you could tell your younger self one thing about love or relationships... What would you tell him? Okay, my first thought is younger self. It is okay to have a lot of sex. <laughs> Woohoo. That's great. I love that. And you're going to have a lot of sex. And that is going to help you understand what you want in relationships and want for yourself. I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. What is your favorite love song? Oh my God. <laughs> or, or like one of your favorite love songs? Yeah. It does. This is the one that we. I feel like we're usually like, oh, here's an easy question. But I feel like this one's actually much harder. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like most of the music I listen to isn't really like love oriented. Um, can I change it to like favorite artist who sings about love? Yeah, I love that. Okay. Um. So you know, I struggle a little bit with like naming a particular song, but I would say the artist that I enjoy the most when listening about love would. Florence and the Machine. Okay. Mm, yeah. I like, what is the song called? Cosmic Love? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But also because I think Florence sings so beautifully about love and all of its different facets. Like, it's yeah. not all, all, like I'm in love. Like, 
and it's not just about like breakups like it's it's just a lot of beautiful things yeah yeah i love that we're gonna make a playlist where we put everyone's song on there so we'll we'll put a florence and the machine song on there and your favorite rom-com if you like rom-coms i don't hate a rom-com what is my favorite rom-com i'm a sci-fi person so this is not an easy question to answer. It's been a um, bridge we've had to cross in our relationship, Devin and I. <laughs> I also I also struggle with this with Sue sometimes. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so it is a garbage movie, and I haven't seen it in a minute, but a foundational rom-com that i watch at age 13 that just stuck with me that i have fondness for is um the prince in me okay okay nice with julia i've never seen that okay nice it's silly but it's got a lot of fairly positive feminist messaging in it cool hey i really love you i love you too i'm so glad that adrian we could do this together since we have a few minutes to sort of talk it pride so Susanna's talked a lot about you and just you being her person there in Charlotte and you know hopefully I come back (laughs) yes what's going on (laughs) she's told me so much about you too Devin do you know about the pure joy Uh, camera no I don't think so hang on I gotta can you tell Devin I'm gonna go get it so she got a um, a disposable camera for um, to take a picture every time she Man, was post, experiencing. This is post mom death. Yes, um, every time she was experiencing pure joy. This tracks entirely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got it. Okay, get in. Get in the photo. Let's. I, could I just take a photo of the screen? You could just take a photo of the can screen. Can you make now. us bigger so It'd we can like see both the, of us? The strangest screenshot ever. <laughs> Y'all, it's pure joy. Okay. Here, let's do this. I only have nine. I only have eight left until I can get this developed after. I got this in March, I think. Okay. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Love that. Pure joy. I'm gonna I think I'm gonna get a second one. I lo- I've loved this exercise. It's it's been like such a way to capture moments where I'm so happy that I wouldn't pull out my phone and take a picture. Like I probably wouldn't have done that. But it's like, oh I'm so I feel joy right now. Good. Okay. I love y'all. Fuck. Thank you so much for listening. Follow along on our socials at Open Heart Surgery Pod on Instagram, Open Heart Pod on Twitter, and Open Heart Surgery Podcast on Facebook. This podcast is produced by Adrian and Susanna with music by Space Baby and logo design by Emma. This is a Lost Frequency audio production. Yeah, boy. Oh. <laughs> I kind of like it.